Welcome to the Brain Fever Podcast. This is a story of Jackie Stebbins, who is a lawyer, a mother, a wife, and an autoimmune encephalitis survivor. She wishes to tell her story about her fight with autoimmune encephalitis and her recovery. Now, here's your host, Jackie Stebbins. you okay take it easy it's the brain fever podcast that was a really bad accent um it came to me late i ran with it and sean's probably gonna cut that as you all know he has problems with my intros but here i am once again by myself actually i am not by myself i have a wonderful guest today her name is adria riddle And this is really going to be a fun one because one, she's really fun. And two, we go way back, like all the way back to grade school. We played basketball together in high school and she was always my favorite player. I always like pull her in in public and like start telling long-winded stories about our basketball days. And I'm sure she's tired of them, but we're going to have a few more tonight. (laughs) So she was seriously legit. One of the best athletes at our high school she got game people. She was killer on defense and she really spent a lot of time stealing the ball from the other team, which I was fine with. But sometimes I had a problem with having to scrimmage with her and then she'd steal the ball a lot from me too. <laughs> and I was just not as happy Jackie, about that. Not at all. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, so, so many times. So I have to tell this great story about Adria. This is the one where like, she's probably trying to act professional do something that like has meaning and I'm pulling everyone in like, let me tell you this great story. Okay. So Adria had broken her right hand. I think it was probably her junior year. Doesn't matter. I think it was. And so it was probably barely better. And she was probably told to like, take it easy, but she was back. She was on the court. And in the middle of a game, she like stops, pulls up and shoots this beautiful jump shot and nails it. And I remember (laughs) I was, I had a good view of you from the bench And I remember looking and saying, she just shot like a perfect jump shot with her left hand. And she did. It shocked me too. (laughs) It was amazing. And, you know, now I'm really getting, somebody should cue um, the boss right now in glory days, but we're we're getting, you know, way off track here, but like a layup or something when you're kind of just winging it in with your left hand, but she shot this beautiful jump shot. So she just, dang, she was a great basketball player, but. I promise that is not what we're going to talk about tonight because you're all right now, A, you've quit listening, or two, you're like, Jackie, make some sense, but you hang with me because you know I usually don't make sense. Okay, 
So why are we going to talk to Adria? She went to the University of North Dakota, where I went to school. I'm just a whole year older than she is. And she started there in the nursing program and worked as a nurse for a few years before attending school to become a physician's assistant. And it was honestly, I think about the time I began my recovery that she and her husband had relocated to Bismarck, where I live, where she lives, and she helped start a women's clinic by women and for women called Balance Medical. It is an awesome place. I was actually just there going red for wed a month or so ago, and they gave the old Stebbins Strong shout out on Instagram. So as we took that great picture, reminisced about shooting the ball with the left hand, I was like, Adria, this could be good. Let's let's do a podcast on this. So we have with us Adria. She is a physician's assistant. She's a wife. She's a mother to three beautiful children. I've mentioned she's a great basketball player. She's a heck of a lot of fun, but there shall be no stories of our old mistress, <laughs> Miss Jeff, because I would plead the fifth. So let's, instead of talking about the days of our corrupt youth, let's talk about women's health, screenings, precautions, things that we should be talking about to feel and look our best. So brain fever, people, put your best basketball clapping hands together and let's welcome Adria. Jackie, thank you so much. I've never had that kind of intro before in my life. I'm still trying to shrink my head down just a little bit from all that gloating. So I appreciate it. And I'm so excited to be here. It was. It's so fun to reminisce. And then you found our passion, women and women's health and sports and all the above. Oh, I love it. Don't shrink your head down because here's the deal. You're going to have to carry <laughs> us through the podcast because in my world, it's very late. It's it's about 6.20 p.m. So I should have been in bed <laughs> an hour ago. And somebody waxed my eyebrows today and I think she took a lot of my face off. I kind of have a headache. So really what I'm trying to say is I'm not going to make a lot of sense tonight, so please carry the show, Adria. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Okay, so quick disclaimer. We all know Jackie has to be a lawyer. I can't help myself, but just want to make sure everybody's on board. Um, Neither Adria nor I, for sure not me, neither one of us are giving any medical advice. We are not prescribing any treatment. Um, This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. If you have any concerns about your physical or mental health, please contact a licensed provider. We are here to just talk about women's health and have some fun with it. So here we go. Adria, tell me a little bit about yourself and and what led you into nursing. Well, I hate to say it was the it was a decision of elimination initially. I liked veterinary medicine, but it was just too much chemistry. <laughs> so then we started to go from there. But I um, I love working with people and I'm social. And it would have been our first summer after high school when I was leaning towards the sciences. I did some CNA work at Bowman at West River. And um, I loved it. It was where that really that, that passion came from of just helping. And then you could watch others care, watch the nurses care, the providers care. And it's just, it's an entire system of working together that that gets this end result. I love that. And and folks that listen to this podcast, all six or 20 of you, you know how much I love nurses and they're just such special people. And I can't lie, there was part of me that was kind of surprised that you had moved to nursing And then it was like, I just stopped. I think maybe it's because I thought you were going to go to the Olympics. Like, I'm not kidding. I just, I I probably had you. I love you. I love you even more and more as we talk here. (laughs) You were going to take over the women's NBA. And I remember because Adria had started at a different college and transferred to UND. So it's like, all of a sudden, I just remember Adria was there and I was like, this is exciting. 
and, and you were studying nursing and it like mm-hmm. took me that minute. And then I was like, no, like she is going to be an amazing nurse. It's such a, a beautiful job for anybody. We are not sure like nursing isn't just this one profession and this is all you do. There's no monotony. If you don't like it, you can shift. I mean, we're going to talk about mental health. We're going to talk about physical health. And there's so many aspects of a registered nurse that you can't get bored. If you don't like it, you switch it. And so that's what's so fun about it is it's not one choice. There's so many choices and so many different levels in that career. So I want to be a nurse now because I love them. And and for Mm -hmm. someone with chronic health, they do so much for me. But really, I can remember when I wanted to be a nurse, when I started in my early days in private practice, because I would drive down what's called Rosser Drive in Bismarck. And that's in between two of the big hospitals. And now it's almost like a campus. There's a lot of clinics. And I would see a lot of women in scrubs and their hair up. And I'm like, why am I in this, you know, blazer with shoulder pads when I well, let's wear sweatpants to work. Yes. I was like, what the heck? But speaking of chemistry, I think I tried to take chemistry once in high school. And well, that didn't go very well for either one of us. And I mean, me and no. chemistry. Um, <laughs> so, so nurses, ah, I just love them. But tell me this. So I know you were a fabulous nurse. I, I knew people you worked with. And of course, I know you. What led you to kind of change the direction of your ship and become a physician's assistant? Um, I became a mom. And that was a big thing. I mean, it worked great as these young women, you can work 12 hour shifts and work three days and have six days off. But when it came to missing my son's first Christmas, I just decided to take that bigger look. Um, And it was to definitely stay within the medical profession. And just with everybody I worked, I wanted to stay there. And it made the most sense as a career change to kind of stay in there, but go up. Um, As a nurse, you can become, most become NPs. You can go the NP route or the PA route. And both of them are great. We essentially wear the same hat and care the same way and have the same um, delegation ability. But I went the PA route just from more of the medical model of it. And I, I love the choice I've made. I love that. So maybe this is something that I know just a tiny bit about, probably because mm-hmm. of my mom. Of course, my mom is a nurse, speaking of my love for nurses. And I have quite a few friends that are NPs. But I think mm-hmm. you're one of my only friends who is a PA. So tell me, what is kind of the primary difference between a nurse practitioner or a physician's assistant? It's just the schooling, essentially. I mean, you're brought up, I mean, most NPs are still required to keep their RN license and they're kind of built more from that board of nursing. They stay within that, where the PAs transition more in the medical board, like the North Dakota Board of Medicine is who credentials us. And so curriculum, if you, apples to apples, I mean, you're still going to get the same experiences but just those class difference are built a little bit different. It's still two years. It's still a master's degree. Long-term NPs can own their own practice. PAs are not able to do that quite yet, but um, we're always changing within the field too, as far as legality. We no longer need um, supervising physicians above us. And so we can practice very autonomously as can the NPs. So I love that. So, and we're going to get into some of that too, the way, the way you practice and kind of things that you look at as, as we talk about issues that we think pertain to listeners and sorry for some of you guys out there, but you know what, maybe this is something you can learn about your girlfriend or wife or partner or friend. um, If it doesn't apply to you, because I think there's 
it seems to be that per my statistics, I have a lot more women listeners on this. So I'm <laughs> terribly sorry. We are definitely kind of catering to women's health, but I'm a firm believer that you can always learn something. So hang with us here. Medical care is so specialized now, Adria, but it seems mm-hmm. like more often than not, when you go to a clinic or any kind of specialty you see, you do see an NP or a physician's assistant. So kind of tell me, tell me where, where you're at and kind of what you do as a PA at this clinic. Okay. So Balanced Medical, we did. Um, Dr. Schaefer-McLean is the the mastermind behind this facility. And so she's an OBGYN. And both of us came together with our previous experiences and realized, I think it's not knocking other providers and practitioners, but we can do better. We can do better out there. I don't think we're listening. I don't think we're asking the right questions, especially in women's health. I mean, I talk to women these days and no one asks the tough questions. I think mental health is a miss. I think um, GYN care in general is not discussed. Harder questions are not there. And so we came together to make sure that when women come in, they're heard and that we address these harder topics that aren't getting viewed. I mean, what could be hard? You have to grow whole humans in your body, which is (laughs) really rewarding and, you know, terrifying. Then there's, you know, (laughs) and yes. And then yes, we have like three of them in which Mm -hmm. that's terribly frightening day to day. You know, there's things like surgeries that can take women's uterus or their fallopian tubes and how that can affect women's mental health. Then from what I read, this is a little um, past uh, for you and I for our age range, but I see things about how menopause feels like it's an unknown to women, and and there is not like a here here's the menopause doctor like a neurologist There's or a No, that is something that we're trying to focus on now. It's not talked about, and there is one. And not every woman transitions exactly the same way. I mean, honestly, some women are starting this perimenopause transition in their late thirties. So that's you and I right now. And they can go up until they're 60 and the expectations of what they're supposed to know or do, there's nothing out there. And then there's such a, a stigma on hormones and everything's wrong with our hormones and what do we need? There's just so much advice and sometimes wrong advice that's out there that it's hard. It's hard to navigate for sure. In hormones, I know a person, I'm not going to mention her name, me, that one time blamed <laughs> the early onset of AE on hormones because that was... I think a fairly natural reaction, like, oh my gosh, are my hormones out of whack? I've had two babies. And I think we, we have questions, maybe more questions than we have answers. And I was also thinking about, um, you just talked about our really old age of our late thirties and being perimenopausal. And some of us also not going to mention names, me have (laughs) osteoporosis from eating so many steroids. And I know that can be something that, that comes with this like you said, this, this stage and transition. So let's, before you and I diagnose one another with, with menopause, let's, let's back it up. <laughs> yes, let's hold off on that. <laughs> um, whoa, folks, whoa, whoa. I, folks, I don't know if I told you that maybe you should pour yourself a glass of wine for this episode, but maybe you should use your own discretion. I am not um, suggesting anything no but moderation. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> So I'm going to back up. We're going to get to to maybe let's call it the decades of women's health. But before that, okay. if healthcare is so complicated, why do people need primary care providers? Why is that important? I think just to establish that relationship. I mean, you go to the walk-in, you get the quick band-aid, they're there and they're fabulous. And thank goodness they're there. But 
for your everyday basic needs, it's so nice to develop the rapport is what I love. So then you walk in and you don't have to tell your whole story every time. And then they only get your five minutes with you and nothing gets addressed. And so I'm sure 20 year olds come into the clinic and they're like, do I need primary care? But it's so nice to have that relationship. Then they call you with a quick problem and it's, it's easy and it's comfortable. And I think we need to take the scary out of medical care. It's not scary. We need to make these, take the scary out of visits. So many women come in and they are so uncomfortable. They hate coming to doctor's offices, but why? I mean, obviously some, something happened a long time ago that is affecting this. I think you, you hit the nail on the head. It's all about communication. And I think that's so important for anybody, not just women's health, but you know, men's health, dealing with a pediatrician, all about communication. So let me ask you something. This probably sounds silly, but I bet someone listening has thought of this. What's the best way to communicate with your primary care physician? I mean, technology's changed. Are we still calling nurses? You know, we can't run in for every visit. Like, how do you best communicate with your primary care provider? Well, coming from the primary care standpoint, and I think we're lucky at Balanced. We're just not huge. We're not a massive system. And so there's a lot more personability with it. Like I I love the EMR in the portal system. And I encourage my patients to use that. Shoot me a quick message. And then it's already in part of the chart. It saves everyone the message. We get back to it. And a lot of people are messaging at work, you know, on their phone versus taking the time, making the phone call. Then you don't talk to someone, you leave a message and then you pay phone take. So I really encourage um, that EMR system or that portal as most facilities have now in our access accessible to everybody. That's so great to hear you say that because someone whose name I won't mention me that spends my life on patient portals, um, you know, probably the trickiest thing for me is, you know, I have various ones to log into for various specialties, but on my end, it always seems like the patient portal is the best way to go. You know, does a nurse answer me or sometimes it is the doctor, but however they balance their communication, I always feel like it seems very quick. And then like you said, it's, it's in the records, then everybody's kind of on the same page, especially yep. for normal humans. Sure. It probably isn't, um, we'll call it Jackie level of insanity and coordination. <laughs> but when you have Jackie level insanity and coordination, an AE patient or someone with chronic health, you know, coordinating our care and making sure that everybody's on the same, it's on the so same vital. page. It is. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. So you serve as kind of in this primary um, care role at, mm-hmm. at the women's clinic. What about, let's talk about women in their 20s. You're 20 to 30 years old. What are we talking about there, Adria? What's important right now? Things that you would want to look to prevent or screen for? What are some of the things that hop out at you for a listener who's maybe in their 20s saying, all right, I want to be proactive about my health? I think at this age, mental health is the big one. And the more we talk with teens, it's, it's just... It needs to be discussed. It needs to be screened on every patient that comes in. Um, that's the main one. I think the other epidemic that everyone's choosing about is weight. I mean, I think that rolls into mental health and that's a big one. And so it's not a diet. It's it's a lifestyle change. And so incorporating those healthy changes in your life now will make these decades later to catch up to where we are a lot easier transition. GYN care, they're probably in relationships, maybe they're planning children. And so I think 
looking overall physical health is important just to make sure they are prepped for the next step or where they're at in their life from a contraceptive standpoint or bearing women bearing ages. Those would be the main ones for your young 20s. We definitely have ESP. um, And I swear none of this was planned as I kind of went through the decades, which I noticed I started in the 20 and you said plural decades to catch us. Oh, that kind of hurt. I know. Um, (laughs) It's my 20 year reunion this summer and I'm I'm a little bit I'm a little bit mystified how that happened, but it's you know, here. I, I went through mine last year and I lived to tell about it. So that's the good news. I know good. I'm going to be, good. I'm 40 soon. So she's not lying. It takes two decades to catch up two to, decades to get here <laughs> to Adrian and I, but as I kind of jotted down like women in their twenties, the few things I have under that, some of the diets and different kind of fad diets, things that we mm-hmm. can talk about nutrition and under women in their twenties and thirties, I have a huge set of bullets on mental health. So I'm glad that some of the things I was thinking about seem to be some of the things that you were thinking about or that you're seeing or, you know, that's being discussed. And and talking about it, because I think there's such a voodoo yet that people think there's something wrong with them because they're not sleeping or they feel low or they're having panic attacks. And yeah, I think getting that stigma out there that just talking about it and that's you are definitely not alone in that. I think that was my biggest eye opener when I became a PA and started practice was the mental health that's out there. No one no one prepares you for that. And we don't no, talk no. enough about it. We don't. And it's so funny you would say that. So against all my better judgment, I got onto TikTok this year, mostly with mm-hmm. the idea of book talk, because essentially we're all like shamelessly hawking our books. Well, pretending we're not shamelessly hawking <laughs> our books, but whatever. And so, of course, I either talk about books, I squeeze in a little Elton John, or I talk about autoimmune encephalitis, which, you know, translates yeah, into to mental health. And just today, I try to do this. I know it probably people probably think I like think I'm cool in my car. Are you kidding me? It's where I know I have like 10 minutes and where I can honestly <laughs> keep the windows <laughs> And doors closed and my kids can't be loud because it's not like you're writing a blog like TikTok. You kind of, you know, you can't have somebody Mm -hmm. hollering at you. So I recorded my car and I did today because I had an appointment and a a great lady I know was like, Jackie, you know, someone had died by suicide. She was talking about this person and and asked me some things. And I said, you know, yep, yep. And we were kind of talking along and, and I could tell she just, she was trying to ask and make sense of it. And I knew she was kind of mincing words and she felt bad. And I was like, no, like we can talk about it. Of course, it's horrific. It's awful. It's scary. Mm -hmm. It is Mm -hmm. so hard to talk about. But I always feel like if I can do my one little part and just say, well, you know, this is my experience, obviously not a psychiatrist, not a psychologist. I'm not a neurologist, but just in my own personal experience. And I know it's hard to understand what a sick brain can feel like. And that's where I think, you know, I can help with my own experience, but I, I made the comment then. So we, we had this conversation. I got home, cranked out like two minute video in my car. And I just said, I think my problem going into all of my health problems, um, where I came out on the backside with mental health problems, (laughs) I, I had the awareness. I didn't, it wasn't like I didn't believe in mental health, but I think I just didn't have such a deep understanding or a lot of education about it. And I'm guessing that's something that you learned about in school, but now you're constantly learning as a provider. Yeah. Like from just exposures of what people are struggling with and what's out there, like what are options and who's out there to help. And there's so much out there that, that you just weren't even aware of that can combat and help and assist. 
So if a woman, regardless of her age, and, and we'll set aside maybe postpartum, because that's something else, of course, we could mm-hmm. bring up in this conversation, especially since your clinic does a lot of like OBGYN work. I'm sure you talk about yep. this often, but if, if someone comes in and says, you know, I'm feeling a little down or I'm feeling isolated, what would you talk to them about? Where, where do you think your conversation would go? I think it's going to start with, you know, what do you do? Who's your support system? How is sleep? How is work? How, how are you managing your stress? Those are the main ones just to get kind of your footings, like what could be affecting it or what triggered it? How is this acute? Did this just happen? Has this been years? Um, establishing those kind of ground rules to help us determine what triggered it or why you're feeling the way you're feeling. And then from there, we do some screenings, but I think getting people to that comfort first, just to open up and talk to them. And I know we mentioned it early on, why do you just establish a primary care provider? Because that makes this conversation a heck of a lot easier versus a random stranger. And it might not be even the first time that I meet patients that they bring it up and say it. Maybe it is the second, the third. The screening helps to prompt that question. And it's amazing how many times I'll ask, and then just from your personal experience, how is sleep? And that has been my priority in mental health. And then we work backwards. That's kind of the ground rules to play out right away. That makes so much sense. So we have that screening where we're hoping to catch people, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe it doesn't come out in the screening. And maybe, like you said, it takes a few appointments and someone's talking about some sleep problems or just feeling a little down or maybe struggling a little at work. And, you know, you keep having these conversations and I can think of conversations I had it was actually with a PA. It was mm-hmm. my obese PA. And at the time, we already said this, like young people are like, why do I need a primary? I had lived and worked in Bismarck for four or five years, never had a primary. No, it was longer than that. And then I had both my babies. So I had an OB. I didn't need a primary. So right. that was one of the first places I went when I started to blame my sleep interruption on my hormones. And it was actually my PA. She's in the book, Anne. And I just love mm-hmm. Anne. And Anne was one of the providers I talked about in the book where I I have this part where I said, I got really mad and I was talking to my mom and I said, why is everybody in my path always trying to medicate me? And that's when my mom kind of had this really earth shattering news to (laughs) no one except for me. And, you know, said, well, I mean, maybe Jackie, like it's, it's time to talk about it. And I know that was a conversation that I was having when I was seeing some providers your stress levels are too high. And what they were saying is you have anxiety, but of course they were treading lightly with me knowing that I'm stubborn. Um, Mm -hmm. and at the time, I don't know what I was doing, but I was just so averse to medication. I don't know where that all came from. Um, I mean, I kind of (laughs) do, but neither here nor there. So I assume that's another part of just having that that good relationship in Mm -hmm. that primary patient role. And if you're having those same conversations, hopefully if you have a pigheaded client like Jackie or pigheaded patient, then maybe that starts to sink in and the anxiety word or depression isn't so scary. You feel comfortable to talk about it. Yep, exactly. And you can tell, you can read those patients right away and, and I get it. And I think the medication pushing is sometimes a little too much. Like that's not a first line often. Yes, there are those times. And that's where that scoring helps. Like, hey, this is severe and maybe we need to bring you down to here and address some other things in the interim. But but the screening helps us determine how the severity of it. And so maybe just talking about it first, um, cognitive behavioral therapy is so beneficial. And then addressing those lifestyle changes that are screaming at these people. I love to hear you say that, that maybe, and I do think I struggled with that, that 
it was almost like I went the other way. I heard people almost kind of dismissing, oh, everybody's on antidepressants. The whole world's taking a pill. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I was hearing some of that maybe in my trial practice with yeah. some of the, the segment of the population I was dealing with. And again, not right or wrong, just it was almost like, I went to such a different turn, like, oh my gosh, I would never need medicine. I don't need this. Yep. Right. And now I'm always, I hope to say to people, I said it in the the video I created today. And I know on other posts, I say medication, the point I got to when I left COVID was full-fledged panic attacks. Nothing like I'd ever had outside of that one kind of um one I had during during the onset of AE that I reference in the book. But I was, I mean, I was melting down. I had this epic meltdown in Fargo, which I blogged about. I was kind of stuck there. Like that is, that's nothing you want in life. It was awful. I wanted anything to get out of it. So for me, it was getting back on Zoloft. It was getting on Trazodone to be able to sleep, you know, and and it was like COVID and I had this baby and I was still not even so much going on. Yep. So I'm always, I try to say to people like medication has worked for me that it took about six weeks exactly kind of what they Mm -hmm. said for me to back out of those I needed the medication I kept holding off again this is even after AE why I was still so stubborn I don't know again that's past my pay grade um but I I spoke to a law school class the other day and I appreciate you saying that too about the cognitive behavioral speaking to a law school class um it's just a lot and the story's a lot and one of them (laughs) very nicely asked, like, what could someone have done to you? Or what could you do? You know, you see someone in that situation. And I said, for me to look back and understand that, that I had high functioning anxiety, gosh, that maybe would have been nice to know. And again, not no one's fault. Maybe I was always too stubborn to hear it. But just that constant noise in my ears telling me like, do this, you have to do this, you have to do it better, that I could have understood that that was high functioning anxiety. And maybe some therapy would have helped. Right. And so I applaud you right now. You talking about it and saying that is that's what we need more of. And it doesn't mean you high function anxiety and then you do therapy and maybe you learn to manage it. A medication or this diagnosis isn't life changing. It doesn't mean that it's going to crutch you forever. I mean, some of these medications patients get off later on in life. But like you said, COVID, pregnancy, AE, I mean, yeah. Medication was very necessary at that point. Right. And, right. You know, yeah. That is too much to process. Right. And in hindsight, like what fool would have thought like, I still don't need medication. Like it was insane, but thank God it's things that you've already said, support system. I have a great team of doctors. Like there mm-hmm. are so many doctors following me for so many different things. It would be very hard for me to fall through the cracks, but stripping me and all of my weirdness out of this conversation for a minute, kind of going back to like a normal human. What about, what are some of the signs? I think this is so important in this conversation. Some of the signs of postpartum depression. It's hard. And um, I think postpartum and the more we talk about it too, I mean, we talked getting pregnant, you grow a human. And then you have this baby and you're not, no one can prepare you for what your body goes through after that. And so I think we're doing a better job of this awareness in the hospital. They're talking about how your mood is. Um, I don't know if there's a specific trigger or what to look for, but disassociation, sadness, not feeling that joy. I mean, moms don't want to talk about it because they feel even worse that they're not in love with their baby, but I mean, it's there and they're sad. And part of it is 
overwhelming. You, you're sleepless. Your boobs are something from another human. I mean, you're, you have a baby in front of you and who knows what your support is like. And you have a toddler running around like same thing here. There is just so many moving parts. And so just the awareness and talking about it, that this can happen and know what to look for and know when it's not something that you're familiar with to talk about it. And I assume, um, very fortunately for me, that wasn't anything that I had struggled with. And I, Mm -hmm. I mean, I sort of say that again, we have to keep putting things off the table with me because I'm too much (laughs) with, with the third baby. We'll kind of put that aside, but like the first two, when I, when I felt like a little bit of a normal person, you know, that wasn't something I struggled with, but I've heard stories that, you know, it's, it's very scary if it's a new mom or a young mom or maybe someone without support. So I would assume that getting to your provider sooner rather than later is probably critical. And usually the significant other would be, you know, notice something, but again, it's just that talking about it and women are in a very fragile place at that time. That is putting it lightly. I remember something happened to someone at work when I had my first baby and Sean like came home from work and like, just really had to talk to me like, cause he knew it was just gonna, mm-hmm. you know, make me so sad. This person had actually been hit on the street while like walking and a car clipped her. And I, Sean like came home to deliver the news. And I remember just like bursting into tears and almost feeling like I'd never yeah. felt like that in my whole life. And my baby was, you know, whatever, two weeks old. Like it's, it's a lot to be a it's new a mom or a young mom or even an experienced mom. And then what else do you have work that wants you back? Right. And yeah, a toddler and you are sore and tired and yes, your boobs are rocks and they're being used to keep someone alive. There's just a lot going on. So mm-hmm. I think that's, that seems to be such an important discussion for women in their childbearing years to have just to recognize that that's out there and to recognize that there's treatment. Mm -hmm, Exactly. We're going to come back a little bit to, to mental health again, but what about, what about women in their thirties? Let's kind of go back to that decade. What are you talking about with women in their thirties? What are, are we looking at? Maybe some screenings for cancer or is it different wellness or is it kind of the same of, of women in their 20s? It's kind of the same. I think the older you get, you start to pay a little bit more attention to um, family history, maybe something that you're predisposed to. Um, you look more at cancer family screening too. Like if you have a strong family history of breast, ovarian, colon, like this is more of a red flag then that we need to address sooner than later. Um, breast cancer screening doesn't usually start till 40 pending the same thing. Is there a family history or something that we should do sooner? Um, cervical cancer screening, we're starting at 21. I think I was 15. This will date us too. But now that's in your early 20s. And so that's something that we do with routine starting in 20s. But 30s, same thing. Cervical cancer, breast screening, if applicable. Labs, we can kind of start pending family history. We'll talk diabetes. We'll talk blood pressure, mm-hmm. cholesterol. Um, obesity comes a big thing at this time too, just weight changes and how that can affect so many parts of your life from mental health to physical health. So those are the main ones in our thirties. Um, like you said, a lot of them are in our main childbearing years and they're kind of plugged in pretty well at this time too. And a lot of it comes down to that, but the mental health awareness is again, transitions into a big piece again. There's one other thing we haven't covered and it's the person Mm -hmm. we need to find and seriously beat up for labeling 35 year old women, geriatric pregnancies. Oh, that hurts. Yeah. That's, that's hurtful. 
it's mean and they even know it and they're coming but you know Still saying it. advanced maternal age pregnancy you know you can give it a long acronym too oh but, yeah that it uh it is that that does hurt we are going to find that man because we know it was a man that Absolutely. said that and coined it 100%. and we're going to beat him up <laughs> so with 30s I feel like 30s is kind of a funny time like in your 20s probably early 20s we you already mentioned like contraception and usually with that it seems like it's going to come with pap smears and more of the pelvic exams and then kind of into later 20s you're probably looking at more of the labor and delivery so you're taking your vitamins with your folic acid and you're having those you know you're screened so much during the pregnancy of course which is amazing and then kind of that six or eight month or week postpartum visit but it feels like in your 30s sometimes you're like wait a minute like do I need this screen or do I need mammograms I don't know like what about people right now, Adria, that are just like, okay, I'm whatever age old, what screening do I need? Is there like a, a good place that they could rely upon for that information? Like we National Institute of the, Health or um, USPSTF guidelines. And those are easy to find. Someone could kind of Google that and say like, okay, I'm 30 and I've had three kids or I'm 30 and I've never had kids. And what should I, you know, what do I need? Exactly. They break down like um, the immunizations that are recommended, when to start screening. Again, these are all general population guidelines. They don't take into effect risk factors that could change that or push us a little bit early. But yep, those would be a good rule of thumb to go by. So it seems like, and I'm not even trying to beat a dead horse to the ground. It's just, it, it makes sense. seems like these are good conversations to have with your primary care provider. And we're kind of back yes, to like why that's a helpful <laughs> thing to have in your life and not you don't really want to be establishing with one when you're coming down with AE. <laughs> so I hear. <laughs> oh, hindsight, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> I've never before said coming down with AE. That kind of sounds funny. Like, oh, I'm coming down with a bad cold. Oh, I'm coming down with the <laughs> AE over here. Goodness, Jackie. Um, okay. You mentioned some of the weight loss and, and that that's something you're talking about with women in their twenties and thirties, but I'm going to be honest, like I am raising my hand right now. Adria can see it. I probably cared about all of that long before um, I should have, I'm sure I'll care about it far too long. Mm -hmm. That would be another conversation of mental health and culture and all kinds of things, but it's something that just, it seems to always come up with women and women's health. And oh my gosh, I could never even keep up with the fad diets, the big one, like intermittent fasting and there's low carb and Mediterranean. There's just all this noise, Adria. So what do you do to talk to women who are saying, you know, I'd like to lose some weight or I'd like to get into better shape or where do you even start with those conversations? I think we have to start them so much earlier. That's with all of this is I've done every fad diet out there too, from medication to Pinterest apps to Instagram. They're saying it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Um, but getting back to the lifestyle, like if you're not sleeping and your body is stressed, you're not going to lose weight. If you're a go, go, go lifestyle and you eat on the go and you're fast food and your body is exhausted, you're not going to lose weight. And so I think you don't have, it's not rocket science, you know, eat healthy, eat right. Some get, we get into a little bit more macro talking, but not to any degree, but 
what are fats? What are proteins? What are, what is fiber? How much water are you drinking? Like simple three to four bullets, they can address the mainstay of it. Restriction is such a thing with women and it just hurts us on so many levels that it's sad. We overexercise, we undersleep and we restrict in our body. That's why 80% of women come in and saying my hormones are off. Yeah, your body's stressed. But it's not a hormone that I'm going to give you that's going to fix the problem. It's going back to we have to address these other things. I think you've made that point so well, Adria, that it just this all works together. It's a balance, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, it's a balance. Exactly. If you are stressed to the max at work and it's interfering with your personal life and your sleep and maybe not your exercise, which can interfere with your mental health, which can interfere with your physical health. So I like where you, you know, you're kind of saying like, let's get back to basics. Are you sleeping? Are you drinking enough water? You know, mm-hmm. are you exercising? Because it, yeah, you just said it. it. It's, it's so sad and I hate it, but I was thinking it and you said it restrict, be stressed, run ragged and over exercise, but yet think like, is there a pill for this? Like, can I cure this? Can I take a hormone, you know, give me some fast fix. And it's like, oh my gosh. But if anything, Sometimes I feel like it's not a cop-out. I feel like there's a lot of pressure on women. There's a lot of pressure on women. That's one of my favorite questions now these days. When you get these 30-something moms in 40s, 20s too that have a handful of kids at home, they're exhausted and they're gaining weight and they have no time. I got I have no time to exercise. And you simply ask, when was the last time you did something for you? Whether it was go grab a coffee or when was the last time you pleasantly grocery shopped for 30 minutes without being on the clock or trying to tame three children at the same time. Bless our children. They're phenomenal, but you're working or you're stay at home. You've got kids stress. It is a lot. And it comes down to the balance, like you said, and prioritizing and letting some of it go. Right. And doing you know, I love this. I heard this once. I think it was on a Brene Brown podcast. And of course, anything that's said on any of those podcasts, I like want to hold everyone's hand and like comb their hair and marry them because <laughs> yes. I love, I love every woman on that <laughs> podcast and men. And I remember this woman saying, it's not the what, it's the why. And I really, and I think they were talking about that in terms mm-hmm. of like body image and such. And, you know, we're both raising girls and I was thinking about that in raising my own daughters and just, it's not so much what I'm doing, it's why I'm doing it. And that, that I think there's a good question for that. Like, why did you skip this meal? Or why did you, why did you think it was important to lose a bunch of sleep to exercise or make, you know, and I right. think that was really important to me that, that of course, walking's great. And of course, exercise is great and some running or swimming or anything, but I've found myself asking that. And that was really a game changer for me. Like, why am I doing this? Is this, it was a good reflection. Yeah. 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 Is this a healthy why, or is this like a Jackie's bullshit? Why? (laughs) Jackie's bullshit. Why I'm going to have to use that one, Uh, (laughs) but it is true. So you had a, a, couldn't shut your mind off at night. You couldn't fall asleep. And then you set your alarm for five o'clock to get up and swim. You're not, you're not helping anything. You're just setting yourself backwards. And that's hard because I know you did love to exercise and it was a huge priority. And that's how you started your day. And then if you didn't get it, were you more anxious and stressed throughout the day? And then it was something. So it's the prioritizing 
and what matters most in getting those things done. And I think too often we just, we feel that draw to body image versus health. And I think Mm -hmm. sometimes if we all thought about our exercise or our eating in strict terms of like, what is healthy versus like, oh my gosh, I cheated or how is this going to make me look, or I'm going to feel gross or I'm at, you know, if it wasn't all of that noise in your head, if it was just like, I'm going to drink this because I love it. And I know it's full of sugar, but this is my one cheat today. Or, you know, this is my one happy. And then you move on and don't like beat yourself up about it. Well on it. Yep. Yep. What was my favorite quote for the holidays about people like stop obsessing about what you're eating between Christmas and New Year's. And how about between New Year's and Christmas? What are we doing? Enjoy the holidays. Have the piece of cake, have the cookies. But I mean, the rest of the time, you don't, let's focus there. Let's look at what we're really doing and make those changes. I like that you said that because one of my favorite quotes right before Thanksgiving is don't forget to set your scale back 15 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Genius. I know, right? <laughs> or just throw the damn scale out. Right. That too. I was just thinking if we could not set back the clocks and just set back our scales. But anyway, I digress. Back to balance though. My mom was always just a, she was very like everything in moderation. And she would say that she was adamant about it. And Mm -hmm. I really do think that's such a great way to live. Like you can exercise too much over here. Like you can do harmful things to your body and injure yourself. I'm going to just raise my hand for quite a while over here. Just keep it up. (laughs) Right. You know, you can do some of these things in the name of fitness or health and it's Mm -hmm. destructive. You Mm -hmm. can also eat a few cookies. You could also be me and stand over the sink and eat like 20 cookies. That's a problem. (laughs) So, um, yeah, gosh. So we need to educate ourselves, be nicer to ourselves, and just be balanced. It kind of sounds like. Boom. Nailed it, Jackie. Jeez. And to think I couldn't get through chemistry with such wise <laughs> insight like that. Hey, you know, we're almost 40 and it took us this long and I've been in this field and hey, I'm still learning. We are still learning, but yeah, I think it's back to the basics is the name of the game. But You seem to be a quick learner. I seem to be a very slow learner. <laughs> Everyone at their own pace. Okay, as we're we're going to start wrapping this up because people are accusing us of being drunk. I can hear you right now. Um, Sean is going to cry as he edits this, but that's his problem later, not <laughs> ours. So Balance Medical, I know, has like, I'm going to call it a skincare division. I know that Ooh, yes. the lawyer in charge of um, saying things about the medical field that they don't understand. We say things like skincare division, but you hear it a lot, glow ups and Botox. I saw someone's needle the other day into her head and lips and she made a video and she's a great, she's like a cool mom. Just like I'm doing this. What are we talking about when we're talking about glow ups and Botox and what are some of the pros and cons of all that? I am not going to act very educated on this one because I am talk about a learning curve. I had never done any of it before, but now when I get a discount of it, because it's up at the clinic, I partake and experience it a little bit. You know, I have to, to know. Of course. Um, But it's phenomenal. And the team we have up there are so smart. And we're not making women look fake. A lot of it is healthy. Um, As far as we've got Dysport is what we use it. Again, Hannah is probably cringing as I'm going to attempt to talk about this. But fine lines, wrinkles, adding a little collagen filler here and there. It's not necessary, 
But if there is part of you that you look in the mirror and it's frustrating and they can add a gentle softening, it's phenomenal. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I have partaken and I so enjoy it. Um, but they're just super brilliant and they don't aim to look fake. They aim to soften and lighten. Savannah is our esthetician and she does a lot of BBL, Moxie, like light therapy, essentially for lightening brown spots, sunspots, and same thing with her. They just do phenomenal work. And Savannah does a lot of education just on preventative measures from um, the sun, vitamin C, sunscreen. She's a huge preacher on that. And so I think we look in the mirror every day and our skin takes a beating. And that's some other thing. Like how in our 20s did you lather with oil and go lay on the trampoline? Like if I only knew now, would I know then? Oh, I haven't thought of people tanning on tramps in a while. Yep. That was definitely um, a 90s thing. As were our tanning beds. I mean, we live in, and and for folks that are listening in around the world or in other, you know, cities that are warmer, like we grew up in North Dakota. We are very pale skin. We all lack vitamin D, I'm sure. And, you know, so we were frequent, again, over here raising my hand, tanning beds, probably not the best, um, which I'm not going to get into that because every not like I have used a tanning bed since then. It's also in the book. Um, I just keep getting off on random things. But anyway, Yes, our skin. And I think it goes back to that, you know, how do you feel? And it's, it's not, again, it's not so much what, why there can be some good reasons if you want to soften and glow. No, no judgment attached there. Yeah. Just that big, scary needle in the lips kind of freaked me out. But um, <laughs> I have to agree with that one. It's something, you know, laser hair removal. Let me tell you, when you have eaten steroids the way I eat candy over the sink that I'm, again, going back to that I shouldn't be doing, the steroids in the hair, that's fun. So it's nice to know that there's laser hair removal and there are options. Well, when you struggle with um, acne breakouts and it's debilitating and scarring and you look at them and they cause anxiety or you lack self-confidence because it, then yeah, it, address it. And there's options out there to kind of lighten those things up or hair. I mean, we work a lot with PCOS, the same thing, the male pattern hair growth that women experience address it because it really can affect a lot of parts of you. Absolutely. So something like that, can you, can you talk to your primary about it? Um, do you think they would be able to offer referrals if someone's like, Hey, I wonder about Botox for, you know, this, that, or the other thing, or I wonder about laser hair. You don't need a referral. That's the unfortunate part about it is it's just not going to be covered by any kind of insurance. So it's all out of pocket, but we have some great girls up there and watch for discounts. But at least if you feel like you can have that conversation with your primary, and I'm sure that Mm -hmm. they can tell you like, okay, this really is risky behavior, like some of these bizarro diets versus like, oh, actually, if this is something you're looking for, like you said, from acne or some lines, like, no, that's okay. That again, it's, you can have that conversation with no judgment. If you feel like you have that good connection with your primary, and that's probably the place to ask the questions, like how big are your big, scary needles, which apparently I keep going back to. So nothing for the lips for you, Jackie. We've established that. Nothing in the lips. Giant scary needle on my lips. You know, it's just like after all I've been through, I'm looking at 
um, black and blue marks from labs and an IV just the other day. I'm always like, you know, I'm punished and, and poked you know, out You enough. should be very comfortable with this tiny little needle to the lip. I mean, right? Either, either I should tough it up and be like, I have, you know, walked through the valley of hell. Or I'm like, you know, it's always hard to get an IV. Why do I need to do anything extra? <laughs> like, stay in your lane, Jackie. Stay in your just be healthy lane. And oh, gosh. <sighs> off on a tangent again okay Whew. well I promised 30 to 38 minutes and folks if I would continue we could cover more on labor and delivery we could get into what Adrian and I need to tackle in the next decade of our life in our 40s and 50s but um I think we've at least hit the highlights that there are resources you know yep. ask your primary if you have those concerns um labor and delivery we did kind of cover and it is hard and you need to find the best doctor whom you love and I know Mm -hmm. Adria is that woman for some women I have friends who didn't know I was Adria's friend and they told me they were seeing her and they loved Uh, her I all of my OBs my high-risk OB I mean these women are just awesome um that I think that's the best advice I think I give anyone who's you know newly pregnant just like find a great OB and they between the doctor herself, her awesome PA and all of her awesome nurses, they will make the experience just amazing. Yeah. It takes a village and it's so fun when you find that care and it's comfortable. It's not scary. It's it's comfortable. How much do you think that's changed you that, that you're a mom and you have had babies and you've done so much of this? How do you think, and you've felt those struggles, mental health, physical, just everything we've talked about. How do you think that's changed you as a provider? Oh, to have that empathy? I it's huge. I think that's what drives you is you, you've had these same thoughts running through your mind that these women are struggling with. And so you, you can go there and you can offer that support so much easier because you know what it feels like. Cause maybe you were there at this time, you went through a breakup, you've had this difficult time following labor. And so it allows you to kind of switch that role and allow that empathetic or compassion or whatever it is to kind of find the right resolve. Oh, which you have so much of, I can feel it. Mm-hmm. And I just know you do good things for women. I think I've learned a lot today. I hope others have. I'm sure they've learned more than they wanted to know about my <laughs> eating habits of jelly beans and waxing my eyebrows. <laughs> um, they're used to me at this point. If they're hanging with the Brain Fever podcast, they're used to me. This is where Sean has rolled his eyes into the back of his head. <laughs> but again, his problem, not ours. Thanks, okay. Sean. <laughs> So rapid fire, best part of the whole episode always. Get your game face on. I'm kind of nervous. Okay. You can do this. Okay. Best part about your job? Oh, the people. What makes a nurse such a special person? They're the front lines. They're the intake. They're the the ending. They're, They're it all. They are heroes. They are. Uh, most points you ever scored in high school basketball game. Oh my God. See this, this WNBA 16. I was not a scorer. She was, she really was. I just asked because I wanted to hear your answer. I, I didn't know. And I was like, she's either going to like know this and tell me the game and the date, or she's going to look at me like she didn't go like Jackie. I, I haven't thought about that in a while. No, no points. I couldn't break about that one. So yeah well how many steals in a game I would love to know if someone was keeping track of those mm, six maybe I, oh, God, oh Jackie, please 
You stole the ball six times before the tip off. Let me tell you people, she just, she moved like a cat and it just, and then she'd fly down to the other end of the court and make a layup and be right back at the other team again. Fun when it was the other team, not fun when it was me. Um, (laughs) Who trash talks better, Charles Barkley or me? Oh, Oh, you. I love, yeah, you in action. You just can't be beat. You're quicker. Uh, You're quicker than Charles. He doesn't, he doesn't have the the quick comeback. I appreciate that, but I think Charles is aging and I think I am too. So (laughs) I don't know. Just send me something on him. (laughs) You're at a party. It's late. Okay. First of all, this is a trick question because of how old we are, but let me come back to that. So you're at a party, it's late, it's about closing time. Again, this is a trick question because we have three children, so we can't imagine fun things like this. You're going to have to go home, it's dark, it's fun, you've had this great night. What Elton John song do you pick from the jukebox? Oh, I was just waiting for my cue there. Oh, Oh, I was waiting, that was it. Benny and the Jets. Funny story. My husband will kill you if I heard this. Do you remember when, wasn't it Elton and Billy Joel in Fargo? It was in 2008. Yeah. So we yeah. went and that song comes on and my husband busts out, Lady and the Tramp. Bum. And I was like, I and I looked at him. I was like, what? He's like, what are you doing there? Lady and the Tramp. And I was like, oh my God. Well, I hate to um, ask what Eric was saying when he got to like, you know, electric boots and mohair suits (laughs) and we'll kill the fatted calf tonight. That's a hard one. It's that English accent. It gets you. So it was a trick question in that we were out. It's late. And I don't think anyone has a jukebox, but I felt like that just that carried the meaning of the question. It did. I got it. The jukebox was there. We don't go out anymore. So it's still there in our glory days. Oh. Wow. Yeah. Now, I mean, we didn't have Apple music when you and I were involved in our shenanigans back in the day. Can you imagine? We'd have died for Apple music. We'd have died. Died. The original jukebox was great. And then they came up where they queued it and you put $15 on, but you would have had to stay up till 3 a.m. to hear your damn song. Exactly. And there was always like some crabby person out that hated your taste in music. And that always hurt my feelings. Yep. Yep. Tough world we live in. All right. This is what he's going to lead us out with. You heard it today, folks. Brain Fever Podcast. Adria Riddle. She is a great friend. She is a great PA. This was just a fun conversation on women's health. I cannot thank her enough. This is our April episode. We're going to be back in May. And speaking of songs, I will have the playlist to Unwillable and we will unveil it in the May brain fever episode so if you haven't left yet please don't come back in may and sean's gonna lead us out with adria's latest favorite song which is the other song they pick on the jukebox (laughs) (laughs) oh it is right now the kid by the revivalist Ooh, sounds fancy Adria, thank you so much for joining us on the brain fever podcast later everyone come back in may And if you don't, it's because of all the weird things I said tonight. I walked downtown to get my fortune read. She took one look and this is what she